Welcome to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico, and joining me is... Scotty Hurts, staying free of Brood 10. Thankfully, they're nowhere near here, but I don't think I've actually seen a cicada in years, but it sounds like there are millions of them raining upon the earth right now, so... Trillions. It's unbelievable. It's another reason to be glad you live in Canada, even though we're a bit slower on the vaccine uptake. Huh, whiners? Huh? <laughs> if only bugs could distribute it. If mosquitoes could distribute the vaccine, we'd be good. We'd be oh, done yeah, in a week. That, that I mean, if, if people are, like, super mad about the, uh, the, the mRNA and how that is, like, spitting in the face of God or whatever, imagine how mad they would be if we, like, change the genetics of mosquitoes to spread covid vaccine <laughs> screenplay in there somewhere oh my goodness uh just what we need more anti-vaxxers to have a reason to be afraid anyway open source is a cfru's political and current affairs discussion show we are here every thursday at 5 p.m as we talk about the latest news items from Guelph, ontario canada and around the world and we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians which this week will be uh, our friend from Ward 4, Guelph City Councilor Mike Salisbury, who's going to join us to talk about a very busy couple of weeks at City Hall, or I guess virtual City Hall in the case of those actual council meetings. Uh, so we will have a lot to catch up on. That will be at the bottom of the hour. Before that, we're going to talk about, again, misconduct in the Canadian forces. This time it was the head of the country's vaccine rollout, who was the latest casualty. What should the government be doing? But first, we have another returning champion of a topic, the latest about the violence in Israel and Gaza. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of it's just kind of going on about its business every day with you know more rockets, more attacks, more bombs, more people dying, most of them Palestinian. I, I think the biggest thing that sort of happened in the last week was the uh, attack on the, I think it was a 12-story residential tower that housed the offices of foreign media like the Associated Press and Al Jazeera. It also housed a lot of people's apartments. And on Saturday, it was leveled to the ground on the uh, intelligence, reported intelligence that Hamas was using it as a command center. Uh, that has not been independently confirmed, and nobody outside of the Israeli defense forces has seen that evidence. But uh, at the same time, we are sort of seeing uh, Joe Biden have a weekly call with uh, Benjamin Netanyahu. That seems to, well, I guess going nowhere fast, because um, Benjamin Netanyahu, at the end of the day, goes a uh, little presser in front of some fighter jets to show just how committed he is to peace. And uh, in the meantime, we had, uh, well, we had a march here in Guelph, but there were marches uh, in 20 different Canadian cities last weekend to show support for Palestinians, which if nothing, if not, if, if Israel is losing nothing else, it is almost uh, certainly losing the international PR battle. So how's that for a wrap up of everything that's going on with this issue? Pretty, pretty good. Pretty thorough. Yeah. I, th I think intelligence in the Israeli sense should be either in quotes or in like capital lowercase, like intelligence, because mm -hmm. it looks like everything is, is, has got pockets of Hamas in it these days. But yeah, as you said, that the turnout was, was large for those considering not just pandemic, but the, like mm. 
it seems unprecedented compared to the other this this is probably the fourth time i think this century so far probably more that <clears throat> we've seen this exact situation play out mm-hmm. and but also uh, people in political realm more willing to speak out and call it for what it is directly rather than doing this sort of roundabout way for fear of uh you know reprisals or whatever it was like you're being anti-semitic uh Bernie Sanders in the New York Times, AOC, some of the usual suspects, I guess, but also the, uh, um, I see the statement from Jagmeet Singh actually coming out saying, look, this, you know, being very clear about it as opposed to this sort of like, well, we don't want to offend anybody. Mm-hmm. Everybody has a right to defend themselves, but, you know, does everybody have the right to, what is the, the grim tally now? 226 people, I think, as today, which is Wednesday, we're recording a little bit ahead. Um, mm-hmm. So found... To be higher, and a lot of those children, one of the more depressing ones is the children that were being counseled for uh, for trauma due to suffering uh, the onslaught were killed in assault, doctors killed in assaults, mm. rocket attacks, you name it. Um, and we did we talked a bit about this last week too, in terms of the one sidedness of the whole thing. The uh, to me that the whole right to defend itself line that Israel spins is, is it, it's wearing a bit thin. It's it, it wore thin years mm-hmm. ago, but it's, um, you know, their defenses are so strong and the, the iron dome seems to be able to pluck out most of what's coming through the sky. And interestingly uh, today, which is Wednesday, there was missiles coming from Lebanon. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it is becoming, you know, as soon as, something's coming in from another country, it becomes an international conflict, right? As you cross another border, um, even though it's rumored to be Hamas or Islamic Jihad, um, whoever it is, is, is now coming from uh, South Lebanon. Mm-hmm. But interestingly, like, I saw that one of the, uh, there was a targeted attack and they're able to do this as well. One of the leaders of Islamic Jihad was taken out when they do these pinpoint attacks in the street. It's either a drone or something. It's just, boom, we got that guy. Mm-hmm. You could almost arg- make the argument. It's like, okay, that that is you defending yourself. You are taking out what you consider to be a belligerent, somebody who may or may not be behind, well, probably is behind <laughs> the attacks on your country, right? So you could say, well... Yeah, they got that guy. But when you're blowing up the the media building, and the weird part is, it's almost surreal when they're saying, they call ahead, it's like, okay, you've got an hour, get your stuff, get out, because we're going to blow up this building. Sometimes yeah. the, notif- the notification isn't uh, th- that far in advance. Sometimes it's like five minutes. Like, okay, get, they'll call you and say, get out of your building, we're going to blow it up. It's right. it's bizarre. And so this is how they work. That's their way of saying, well, we're we're trying to reduce... Civilian casualties. The general command said we have no intention of killing civilians. Not to mention, I think at last count it was something like 72,000 people have fled mm-hmm. because of the rumor of ground forces coming in, not to mention the the, uh, the barrage coming in as well. So there's, there's that as well. There's like displaced people once again. They're already displaced in Gaza, and now it's like they're just fleeing because... There's no idea whether your building's going to come down on top of you or not. Advance notice or not. It's just it's it's we're at the madness point here. Well, it's phrased as humane, but I don't think there's really anything humane about it. Like getting a phone call in the middle of the night, or getting a phone call, or somebody knocking on the door saying, "Oh, by the way, we've targeted your building for 
<laughs> to be demolished, you know, you have anywhere between five minutes to an hour. And, you know, if this was mentioned at the Guelph March, it's like, well, how do you how do you pack up your life in five minutes? You know, how do you make sure you get your your family out or your your disabled granny out or you know whatever it is you know and you know what pictures do you take you know what do you grab like do you, what clothes do you grab it, it's I, I i can't imagine anything more stressful than like you have one hour or less to pack up what you can of your life and get out um so i mean yeah i mean technically it's humane because you're not randomly killing people but it there's there's really nothing humane about it and the whole thing with the media building too is there hasn't been a lot of media coverage in the west about like sort of the the nooks and crannies of this because on sunday i saw an interview with the spokesman for the israeli defense forces with um brian stelter the media reporter at cnn and he's like oh we showed we showed the U.S. like our evidence that that was like uh, it, it wasn't just like it was a Hamas base or that there, there were tunnels under the building that Hamas was using to transport weapons. It was like this was like a Hamas command center in the basement, and there have been rumors um, coming in and out of the the building because the Associated Press has used it for years and years and years. That you know, yeah, Hamas was hanging around, and it it would not be unusual that if Hamas didn't like something and the AP's coverage, they would kind of let them know. Mm -hmm. But uh, this story has sort of adjusted itself in the last few days because the Biden administration came out on Monday and said, like, we weren't showing any evidence. And then there was a report today uh, on Wednesday. I tried to find it again, but I couldn't, but it it was on the TV and I thought maybe there was an accompanying written article because I was only half paying attention, but it was like it wasn't even, it was like, it wasn't even, it was a Hamas base. It was like a Hamas listening post. So, I mean, at that, it, 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 what, you know, they were destroying, like, the equipment. They had, like, this this roof where there are other antennas and satellite equipment things. Hamas stuck up their own antenna, and, and like, you blew up a whole building for that. It's just, the thing that continually strikes me about this is just the disproportionality. There is one side that is a state entity with overwhelming force backed by the greatest military might on the planet. And the other side, you have Hamas, which, yes, is a terrorist organization, but they don't explicitly represent the people. They have they're not a political entity. And I would wager, I mean, even if most people in Gaza have some level of support for Hamas, they would much rather that Hamas wasn't firing rockets (laughs) and. Uh-huh. And, you know, but I mean, at the end of the day, Hamas is, doesn't represent the people. Um, but I mean, it's it's at the end of the day, too, it's the people who are suffering because of the actions of both sides. Yeah, well, and they're suffering because of politics. I mean, Hamas mm-hmm. trying to gain uh, credibility in a situation. There, there's suppo- there were supposed to be elections there. Yes. Uh, and th- they didn't happen for, for various reasons. But also, as we've seen in Israel, I mean, Netanyahu is is holding on to power, clinging so on to it, because yeah. it, again, we've had another election that's kind of a draw. Let's say they have proportional representation, mm-hmm. so for him to survive, scandal aside, that's going on with him, he needs the support of another party, and of course, the party they have varying degrees of of uh, politics there, but generally for him, it's it's on the right. So he's gonna he has to get some you know. 
a, a heavier or heavily Zionist party to back him. Mm-hmm. So with this show of strength, it's like you say, okay, well, we'll back you for now. And then a period of time will pass and then they'll have to redraw the whole thing again. Right. But when you're talking about military might though, I mean, it's, he said off the top there, but Biden is saying, you know, I expect a deescalation and, and Netanyahu's like, no, 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 this is not going to do it. And the U S gives Israel close to $4 billion a year. Mm. We know a lot of that goes to weapons. And I have learned that Canada's hands aren't exactly clean in this $57 million worth of military gear over the past few years, 16 million in bomb parts and drone parts alone. So if you work in one of those industries or are one of those industries in Canada, you can bet that your, your hands are on this as well. He, although, Trudeau and company will come out and say, we want this to stop right away. It's like this. It, re- it reminded me of the uh, the Saudi lab vehicles, right? It's like mm. you chime in politically and say, oh, this needs to stop right away. But realistically, you're, you're in on it. If you're putting a detonator fuse on something or whatever the heck it is, you are in on it, I, in my opinion. So that it's like more more needs to be done but of course is what they're just going to take a step back and say and hope that this doesn't play out as it has in previous years where like thousands of people are killed but it needs if i'm surprised that they, he's not responding to biden if biden is saying look you need to stop yeah. this he's like and he's just he's just like no so he knows he has, he has nothing to lose at this point right it's a perpetual Netanyahu. motion yeah netanyahu it's a perpetual motion machine like all these things have for, sort of like have their own energy now um, so the political situation in Israel is crazy because basically no one's in charge. They're in this static period waiting for the opposition parties to see if they can form a government before this thing goes back to election number five. Meanwhile, you know, the Palestinians um, haven't had an election in almost 20 years. Uh, the people, I mean, people... <laughs> It's hard to get people out to vote when you know there, there's stuff going on in their own lives that you know hardly lets lets them have time. You know things like being forcibly removed from your home, mm-hmm. um, and and I think that's that's a difficult situation too. It's just like there's this there's this political tumult in the area that um, is now sort of being reflected in actual tumult mm. and um it's it's going to require a lot more than joe biden saying hey guys can you like maybe like cease fire or something but uh, the question remains too does the united states have any credibility at all i think it would be safe to argue that they do not after um trump's sort of laissez-faire um foreign policy of just basically letting israel do what it wants because um unilateral support of israel uh is sort of like the the demand of the republican party so yeah anyway. that's part of part of the problem in gaza too is that when you see a building going down i mean that's it it's a place yeah. that's under siege they can't it's not as if they just go in and rebuild it after this is all done it'll sit as a pile of rubble for years and years and years so it's yeah you know the destruction that goes on beyond human life which is bad enough it's like it's it's not repaired and and all the services are fed from israel as well like power water it's yeah you know if they wanted to they could just cut all of that off 
and they would say that was inhumane as well but there's it's it it all is at at this point so i don't there was a general strike on tuesday supported by the rival factions like fada and the west bank and hamas in gaza like they're they're even even though they're not friends they're getting together and and trying to you know push a narrative with it i'm i'm not actually hear how the general strike went but a, a lot of labor in israel and they don't want to admit this is done by palestinians right that's their yeah. workforce so yeah. if they shut it down for a day that's everything shut down for a day right so well speaking of force work uh bad pun but there you go mm. uh the Canadian Forces Misconduct Probe has claimed another person since last time we talked about it, uh, General Darren Fortin, uh, who was also the head of Canada's vaccine rollout. Uh, this was uh, an historical allegation from his time at the Royal Military College in Quebec. Uh, it seems, well, it we're not exactly what sure what it is. Uh, certain disclosures have not been made. It could be anything from an indecent exposure incident to sexual assault. That is not clear. What is clear is that uh, both the Minister of Defense and the Prime Minister knew about this uh, for a while now, for the Prime Minister at least several weeks, for the Defense Minister back to about March. Uh, and what we have here is more... Uh, less transparency isn't a word, but uh, it, it's mm. uh, there's certainly a lack of transparency, and it's uh, not a good look for our feminist prime minister. No, not at all. And I, it sounds like the, the committee that's ongoing studying mm. into these things, is the liberals are running out the clock any chance they get so certain people don't have to speak to issues. I don't know how long they can keep that up for, but that's kind of a s separate storyline to what's going on. It sounds like the <clears throat> military have, have wrapped up their investigation against Fortin, and it's being turned over to uh, the authorities. So I take it there's going to be a possible criminal investigation just of what went on 30 years ago. Um, and that's not to say that they shouldn't investigate what happened 30 years ago. I, th I don't think we're going to see the end of, let's call them the historic claims, right? Because... The, the pattern so far is, let's say, uh, male, white, 50 plus uh, that have wor you know, worked their way through the ranks and through the system in the days where these things were allowed to happen. And some, you know, these, those, these days aren't that far away, right? It's, mm -hmm. not as if, it's not as if that everything happened 30 years ago and we're just finding out about it now. There, there's a, there is a definite pattern. And I, I, there was a lot of rumbling about, well, who's his replacement going to be for the vaccine rollout? turns out it's Brigadier General Krista Brody. And I happened to, I found a, uh, her CV from when she was a colonel before she was uh, promoted. Mm -hmm. And on if you saw this woman's resume on paper, you would say, this person is the most qualified person to, <laughs> to do this, <laughs> right? It wouldn't be Fortan at all. Fortan was like, was a, was a frontline person, right? And yeah. So it's like, his claim is, or the claim for him was that he was, well, he's a, he's a team builder. It's like, well, okay. But, uh, <laughs> not anymore. But uh, it, it's, yeah. Um, yeah, so she is in charge now, had gone away. I, th I think may have been to be involved in historic sexual assault allegation investigations. It wasn't totally clear, but I didn't see a one line on that. I was like, hmm, that's interesting. So there's, it ties... 
not all, it ties into not just the vaccine rollout, but the, the the story that we're talking about, right? She was somehow uh, involved with that because she's a thirty year veteran as well. They're, they're these they're of the same vintage, right? But it makes you wonder, though, like why you wouldn't hire someone who seems more qualified right off the top rather than go with this Fortin person mm-hmm. who just appeared. Like nobody had heard of him until the vaccine rollout. And now he's he's probably about to become a footnote in the whole uh, pandemic period, right? Yeah, it's I mean, it's not like he was literally going door to door to hand out vaccines or whatever. I mean, it, it, no, like Hillier, he did that, right? Yeah, see, there's a pattern. Here, right? <laughs> but I mean, yeah, there's there's kind of a pattern. It's sort of a matter of coordination. And, you know, sometimes being good on the front lines doesn't necessarily mean you're good because, I mean, um, appropriation and distribution are sort of uniquely different skills to marshalling forces on the front lines. And we sometimes think that if someone is wicked awesome at being someone like a frontline commander, that they're they're wicked awesome in, in any circumstance, which to me is like saying uh, being a good brain surgeon makes you a good foot surgeon. But uh, I think it's about Ben Carson, but anyway. Yeah. Uh, uh, I've, <laughs> the Carson. exception rather than the rule, but yeah. There's a name I'm glad I haven't had to think about for a while. Anyway, um, it's I mean, this is kind of what's going to happen. This is like the fourth high-profile person. Like we had Jonathan Vance out, Art MacDonald out, the head of the military intelligence school out. Now it's Fortin. He's out. It's like, who's it going to be next week? I don't know. It could be anyone. The point is that there is, like, this is a problem so much bigger. Um, And it's it's a problem on two fronts. Number one is, you know, you have Trudeau going, well, I knew about it a couple of weeks ago. It's like, like, I heard about it, but then I didn't do it because I can't put, I can't put my hands on it. I put my hands on it, it becomes political. I can't, which says to me he's learned the exact wrong lessons mm. from like SNC Lavalin and from we. And, you know, the lesson he took from that is like, I'm not going to be involved at all. Instead of sort of recognizing um, there's, there's a way to be involved that's not like super top heavy involved, like an SNC Lavalin or like helping out your friends who aren't really your friends, uh, like in we. And so, it's just like you you can't pull the colonel or sergeant schultz like i saw nothing like you know it, it, mm-hmm. that's not what people people are looking for leadership right now and they're looking for leadership because this is systemic you had um leanne carrington testifying to the committee last week that there is a way that women are treated in the forces and there is a way that men are treated in the forces. Mm-hmm. And there was another woman, Leah West, who testified to this. She was raped while she was in the forces and she felt, and this is something true that like, no matter what the force, um, this is a truism, this, or, you know, sort of no matter what the situation too, because there are certainly soldiers as well who have, might have uh, mental health issues from being in the theater of war who don't go and seek help because they know it's going to mm-hmm. end up on their record and they don't want to be thought of as weak. And it's the same sort of mentality for a lot of women in the forces who are sexually assaulted. Um, but she she did not report it because she was afraid that it was going to reflect, reflect badly in her file that when it comes time to get a promotion or for a service review or whatever, she would be held back. What ended up happening to... Uh, Leah West, well, 
she had a consensual sexual relationship with somebody else, which put a note in her file and stymied any career ambition she had in the forces. So you have guys who are, you know, treating the forces like a pickup bar, mm-hmm. making it all the way to, you know, brigadier general, lieutenant general. And you have women who are raped, don't report because they're afraid of being punished for it, but then have a, a consensual sexual relationship with somebody else and are punished for it. It's a two tier system. Um, and and that's the thing that has to be attacked. I don't know who's going to go next. Somebody's going to go next. There's going to oh, be a yeah. street, but it's the system. We need to focus less on the guys and more <laughs> on the system. Well, and and that's exactly it. Because I mean, the the, the forces have been left. To, they've been kind of neglected for for a long time, right? Mm-hmm. They've been mm-hmm. if you if you if you reach back, it's like subsequent governments. And you know, s- to speak to what you said about Trudeau, there. I mean, the classic thing would be like, okay, we've inherited this mess from various governments of all types, but we are going to fix it. That would be the way to handle it, right? But instead, it's this humming and hawing, hoping <laughs> that an election will either come and they can they can run out of the clock on all of it and then just sort of reset. That's not going to fix it. And that's what's been happening, right? Mm-hmm. The problem with an institution like the military, which is not unlike the police, when they have this uh, cultural problems but also their own culture it's sort of insular right it's like they well we've always done it like this like Mm -hmm. the cops right Mm -hmm. and they're self-policing right they don't like people digging into the business and it's like well if you don't like this well tough it's not i don't know what's the what's the military equivalent of the thin blue line it's along those lines the thin camo line right thin camo line yeah (laughs) yeah there is there is this there's there's a definite wall there right now in fortan's case i mean I, I don't know. Nobody knows all of the details. You may never know all the details. But it's not as if he's hit like a Colonel Russell Williams level of depravity, right? And mm-hmm. we forget about this, too. There's an example there. He's kind of a forgotten man. But there's you know, everything that is wrong along these lines is embodied in somebody like Colonel Williams, who was same thing, moved up the ranks. He was a colonel, and it turned out he was he was a depraved individual, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sexual assault, rape, leading to murder, and he's locked away. And it's like they have to do some really deep examination as to where that came from. And I don't think it's you know they'll say, well, they'll use the bad apple excuse, right? It's like, well, it's it's this one guy. It's like, no, it's not. It's not. It's it's there are there are shades of this. There's there's levels of of where this goes. If if we don't know. It sounded like Fortan was being a goof in military college, mm-hmm. but uh, you know who's to, and this is and he sa- he said that he learned uh, from a journalist. I don't know which journalist, but he's like he learned from the media that was he was being investigated, and that in itself, I think is you know I'm not trying to boost this guy or anything, but it's problematic. <laughs> okay, you're 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 this person. You're in a position that everybody everybody knows his face in Canada right now. Mm-hmm. And rather than the military or somebody who his his superior who he answers to, or even the government coming to him and saying, "Look, this is going to happen," mm-hmm. um, learns he learns from the media, right? So that I, that's probably not a healthy approach either. When you can't even you know deal with people internally, you you let somebody leak it to the guy like that's yeah. not. Regardless of what he did, it's like that 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 channel itself. It's like that's not how you're supposed to find out in uh, something that's supposed to be such a storied institution. 
as the the mighty Canadian uh, military, almost said the Canadian media. Whew, that was some heavy topics and uh, very complex, and so we need to mellow out a bit. So let's uh, cue the music and mellow. You're listening to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. Cat Records pick of the week. Royal Cat Records, the little big record shop at 21 Macdonnell downtown. Still pick up only. That may change soon. We're not sure. Uh, and that was, <laughs> if you've been to a wedding in the past, I don't know, 100 years, you've probably heard that piece. That was, yeah, Leipzig's <laughs> newest hit makers, right? 300. Oh, yeah. Maybe. I'm sure I'm going to not get the year correct at all, but it was a hit and still is in some circles. Yo Yo Ma with Cello Suite number one. And G major, and that goes out to our friend Christopher, because I'm sure mm-hmm. he could probably tell us all about it rather than me trying to wing it <laughs> from a yellow post-it note. So. Well, he does. He does do the classical music show on CFRU, so yes, indeed. Um, he knows. He knows all about those hits. <laughs> the, ask, ask, uh, ask Christopher about Sugar Jones and watch him melt down. Um, We'll play them next week. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they'd appreciate the residuals considering it was yeah. a, a pop band at the turn of the century. Anyway. Jones. Yeah. yeah. They were the like the build I can't remember the real anyway. We're getting off topic. Um Indeed. We, we did it. <laughs> we did an interview with Ward Force City Councilor Mike Sh- uh I almost said Mike Schreiner, but that was last week. I've done that about ten thousand times, yep. Mike Salisbury who is the Ward 4 City Councilor, one of the Ward 4 City Councilors at uh, City Hall. Um, what ground did we cover in this interview? We talked about uh, multi-year budgeting. We talked about Claire Maltby because there was a kind of a event, part of the Two Rivers Festival uh, this week uh, about the possibilities there. And we also talked about the Transportation Master Plan. And was that barbed wire you saw Metrolinx installing along the fence near the railroad tracks? It probably was, and stay tuned for that insight now. Well, Mike Salisbury, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. Uh, Let's just talk generally. I mean, it's been a pretty busy six, seven weeks at council. I mean, some weeks there have been two meetings, a lot of workshops, a lot of uh, big, you know, kind of broad discussions, whether that's systemic racism, whether that's official plans um you know how have you been feeling about the workload lately uh, well on the, on the it's it as you know the council composition review coming back with you know a uh, question around you know uh what's the composition full-time part-time it's times like now that you go wow this is this is 
for me, without a question, it is the equivalent of full-time work. Having said that, uh, that's just, it's been, it's not always that busy. Uh, but I'll tell you the thing that I mentioned to my wife a while back, so we were talking, we came back from, a, I think the most recent was a multi-year budgeting, which sounds pretty dry, but is, has got some really profound implications. And, and I said, you know, it seems like lately everything we're dealing with are huge, complicated legacy issues. It's like, I mean, that's cool. I enjoy that. But it's, it's, been, it's been heavy sledding for sure. Well, having said that, I mean, I, I know that council kind of hedged about what the future composition looks like. I mean, it, is it times like this that sort of sets you personally on a path and thinking about that and thinking about maybe the time is to go full time? And along with that, are you still interested in being a city councilor if that becomes your full-time job for four years? Yeah. And that, and that's the issue because there's pros and cons in both sides. So the, aside from all of the council composition and numbers and, and ward boundaries, one of the questions was, Hey, is this full-time or is this part-time? And depending on how you do that, you will attract some people and you will not permit others to, to, to participate. And, and, and it cuts both ways equally for the most part. So on that front, you know, it's, it's, uh, it is what it is. Um, is it a full-time job? I think so. Does it warrant full-time attention? I absolutely believe so. Would I be interested in doing it full-time? I might be a casualty with that. I don't know. Uh, I'd be maybe tempted to try it on for a year, but, or for a term, but, um, it, 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 that's exactly the case. I mean, I, I'm able to do what I think is a really great job part part time, but it's because I, I've, I've got other other work that I do and and it becomes a OK, is is a, do I want do I personally is it right for me? But is it right for the position? I think so. I think hmm. we're we're the very thing, like even just what I said, the complexity. So it may not I may not get a call, you know, calls every day or or what have you, but just the amount of reading and knowledge and and hands-on uh, awareness that that you would get if you were full time. I mean, we deal with so many issues. There are sometimes I look at it and go, "Wow, I'm really glad there are others who this is their thing," and 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 I trust their opinion. And they've drilled down heavy, and they go, "Hey, here's why I think we should do it." I'm really grateful for that. But sometimes I think, "Wow, I wish I, I wish." I wish I was that person on every topic mm -hmm. um, and I, that you can't do that part time. I do want to talk about your other thing, which is uh, you are in the business of landscape architecture and uh, you took part the other night in, in this uh, presentation with the two rivers festival. I should plug with, for which CFRU is a sponsor. Uh, you know, coming out of that, I mean, there are a lot of great ideas and what's one of the reasons why I asked uh, professor Stewart about, you know, how much carte blanche the student has the students have in designing things but i mean you you come at this from both a, a council perspective and a professional perspective as, as someone who's participates in planning what are the practical realities of you know you see all this enthusiasm around claire Mulpey, what it can be but i mean how do you balance that with the practical realities that you deal with when you get like the staff reports and the staff are laying out sort of distinctly different priorities <laughs> Uh, well, they may not be distinctly different priorities, but they have the full 
picture of the implications, right? So one of the cool things about that this the students were able to do is sort of be free from that. And so you, you realize that, yeah, you're, you're going to deal with some really cool ideas, many of which may never see the light of day, but may influence other, other stuff. But when you've got a, the, you know, nothing is simple. And then on that magnitude of planning, it, it's just, it just, uh, the complexity is, 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 it's amazing that we can get anything done. Um, so there's a process, right? And so it's about you, you knock, you know, there are some things that are not negotiable and there are some things uh, that, ha- you know, have to be done a certain way. And then you sort of take it down and you have a process of trying to hone it down to something that even after the master plan, then even with regards to how it's implemented in terms of site plan or, or, or approvals for that, there's still going to be changes and opportunities to do really cool things. And I'm, and there's a number of people I think who are in the, you know, uh, that are looking forward to, to, to pushing the boundaries, whether it's with affordable housing or design or net zero or any of the other really cool stuff that we saw last night, but uh, has actually a value if, if it can be implemented, right? So, so it's, a, it's a process of going finer and finer and finer. I was a little nervous actually about even participating because I thought, oh, I really don't want to get into a conversation about going backwards, you know, right. saying, hey, can we reopen this? Hey, can we restart this? Hey, can we start fresh? Um, because, uh, you know, notwithstanding all of the legal challenges that one would incur and just the, <laughs> you know, you would, t- you would get to the point where nothing would ever be done. And some would be quite happy with that. But I would think mm. the people who want to move to Guelph and the people who want to develop lands to, to accommodate people moving to Guelph would not be those people. Well, that's something I want to get at because I feel like, there are forces in town, not necessarily the people who have like money sunk in to the Claremont Bay area. And, and that's, that's another thing that came up is that there, it's, it's not a, a sort of 400 acres, 400 hectares, I should say, that are all owned by one owner. So we can, you know, sort of do what we want. But I mean, there are a variety of business interests, but there is a constituency. Uh, I'll phrase it that way. That is not terribly pleased with the direction shall we say and do want to like let's go back to the beginning and talk about sort of first principles and what we want to do with this area and how difficult does it become to sort of manage that as the process moves forward as it inevitably is well you know we covered a lot of ground there, and <laughs> and as someone as someone who who I would accuse at times of looking for problems where none exist, mm-hmm. um, I'm not saying that's entirely the case. But here's the thing: if no one's happy, you probably did the right thing, mm. right? So so there will be you know on two sides of an argument. If neither one of you are happy, it was probably a compromise that had to account for a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Um, I mean, the fact of the matter is the the uh, I think that the some of the foundational approaches, uh, as stated, were really noble and visionary. Now, whether anyone believes that that was realized, you know, some will say, absolutely, I can't believe how, how, how great we did in natural heritage or whatever, choose a topic. Um, and there'll be others who will be completely opposite to that. And, and, and again, it goes back to, and probably both parties don't know the full complexity of all the other stuff that plugs in to any given decision, right? I was, as you can imagine, as someone who brought forward the, 
the uh, moving the the community park to the best location in Claremont right. for a community park, uh, based on solid planning rationale. Um, <laughs> I, I you know there were you know I can imagine that those who there would be a number a constituency who would see that as is a terrible decision, particularly if they own property or were somehow impacted by that decision, right? Um, you're not going to make everyone happy. But this is like a one of the things I keep coming back to with Claire Maltby. It's like it's it, this is a very unique set of circumstances planning a, this huge sector of the city from scratch. There's kind of no precedent for or not much in the way of precedent for something like this. Mm. Perhaps the, the scale, perhaps yeah, the scale yeah. for sure. Yeah. Uh, the topography is significant. One could argue, hey, was this the vet, the right place to expand the city of Guelph instead of east, or sorry, west? Which you know, <laughs> to me, if we've got the Tri Cities, kind of makes sense. Um, but again, uh, the water's long gone under that bridge, right? So that's the land that we have. Um, and uh, I don't know. It's it's a it's a it's a long it's a long process. I, I've kind of dropped gapped out there and lost your question. Sorry, man. That's all right. I'll move on to something else because uh, what we've got coming up next week the um, transportation master plan. Uh, I don't know how much you've had a chance to really dig into it. I haven't had much of a chance myself, but I did notice that we want to cut car modal share by about twenty percent in the next thirty years, and we live in a like, you and I, we both live in Ward 4, a very unique part of town. Doesn't go all the way south. There's this little part that, um, we're, we're this little part that sort of juts out. Um, does it make things more complicated for people who live in our end of the city to, you know, cast out the car just because of the general layout here? Like, is, is our ward kind of like a, a unique, Maybe not an unique, but you know, it it has its unique challenges to to reach that goal, shall we say? The question being, is it is it a reasonable goal? Mm. Well, I I think it's re responsive to what people believe is is both necessary for our survival from a climate change perspective, but also desirable by our population. We had spoken earlier about you know the number of people on the sidewalks in the pandemic, the number of people who are buying e bikes. Um, you know, it, it, it isn't just, it isn't just buses, but in fact, um, uh, you know, Imperial Road became a major corridor, uh, for, uh, um, multimodal transit. Here's the biggest challenge I think we faced since I was elected and, and I'm, and I'm dissatisfied that we haven't been able to get a solution, although I know why, um, <laughs> is connecting us to the rest of the city. Mm. So I am, you know, I am pushing really, really hard now that a number of the barriers to that have been I don't know if they've been resolved but the, t the time has passed that we are now able to really uh, without you know muddying the waters too much start talking to landowners for instance uh, and say hey can what, what can we do to connect up I the mayor and myself and staff and Christine are planning on getting together as soon as all the staff are available for a really high level look at at the Imperial 24 in your change because I believe that we have a fleeting opportunity to connect down to the uh, to the river at that point which is the only point mm -hmm. that you're going to get out of the west end you know, without having to deal with ridiculous traffic on 24 um, so this is the kind of thing that that you know it's simple it's behind the scenes I'm frustrated it's taken three terms to get this far <laughs> but you know uh, it's not through lack of, of of either effort or even you know council unanimously putting that linkage into the uh, 
um, uh, one of the plans. I forget. It's eluding me for a second here. The trails uh, master plan. Uh, no, the one the um, alternative transportation. Uh, ah. what, it, what I forget what they called it off the top of my head, but it was a linkage that was not included, and we we flagged it. And said no, this this has to be. There's so you know the we're cut off. And so the biggest priority for me, and if I could get that done and I would feel uh, I've, I've, I, you know, my time well spent would be to get that connection, but it's, it's not been easy. And, and everyone, myself included, you know, every election cycle says, Hey, when are we going to get connection? I mean, yeah, good question. You know? Well, and this is one of those things where the, you, the gears not only move slowly, but you can see them moving slowly because there's so many parts of this. There's like, what are we going to do on the Lafarge property? That has to yeah. be come along with an underpass that goes under the tracks. You know what is going to happen at the quarry? That has to be the freedom the students <laughs> had to not concern themselves with private property. That's right, absolutely. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's you know you, it's not it's not always us that has the that, that have have the levers. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of transit, uh, you're sort of the first member of council i've been able to talk to about this since it was announced last week greyhound canceling routes and i mean just we were touching on transit and it plays into the transportation master plan although it's intercity not necessarily in the city but um i mean that that leaves a lot of people i mean we're, we're, we're still far from sort of fully being back to normal from the pandemic but when people emerge and especially students coming back to campus. I mean, those Greyhound connections were huge to the mobility huge. of bringing people in and out. Well, of we still city. have go, sure. right? So we and we're moving towards what full day, all day, both way, and 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 other things that rhyme with the word a transit through <laughs> go, right? So as there, you know, Greyhound was a private carrier, and they tended to do the 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 milk runs out to to nowhere, and hence they've had you know their that business model hasn't proven to be sustainable for them. Uh, but yeah, I'm concerned. I, I'm not sure what what the what will fill it. What I am optimistic with, though, is that perhaps that foundational change in our need as a society to spread ourselves out all over mm-hmm. um, may, you know, and it could take, be a long time before that changes. But as we start to realize, hey, you know what? Maybe I don't want a, a, a commute. Um, to work says I've worked from home for the last two years. Why wouldn't I continue to do so? So all of a sudden the, the, the requirement for transit is changing. That's a moving target. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's gotta be really hard to, to make plans uh, post pandemic when we're still in it. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did want to address multi-year budgeting too. Um, I wonder because it, I thought it was going to be a busier meeting this week, that workshop. I thought there was going to be like a lot of uh, probing questions. Um, and maybe <laughs> this speaks to my lack of psychological understanding about you and your colleagues. But um, am I to take that as sort of like a sign that council is ready to take that move and that have it accepted, you know, how this will be a, a, a very different process than the way we've handled the budgets before? I, I would say council has been ready to explore this um in all of you know in all of its pros and cons for a while so this it wasn't new uh my first reaction when i walked away from that meeting is i felt i felt like a little bit of a you know like i was being sold on the idea Mm. having said that what i was really impressed with was the caliber of speakers that they had from the public realm elected officials who are going hey here's been our experience with this here is where this has provided to be an opportunity and so some who maybe 
uh, were either strongly pro or against may have found that to be quite enlightening. I know I did. I found it interesting to see the spin-off benefits. I mean, I, I don't think it's it comes as any surprise that that you know long-term planning is generally preferable to short-term reactivity. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and so it makes sense, right? On on its basic concept. But I don't think we want to hamstring future councils is is and or we don't want to we don't want to eliminate our ability to be responsive. Mm -hmm. uh, so those are the two things that that were raised and and discussed. It, and it, you know, it wasn't really for decision as much as it was for consideration. Right. Let me turn that around then, because there's a lot of public engagement around the budget time. You know, you and Christine have your town hall. All the other councillors have their town hall, trying to get constituent feedback, knowing that a lot of people who are politically active in the city don't take change very well. Are, do you think that, you know, the people you talk to are like, are people ready for the move? Do you think to, to this kind of more broad long-term planning? Um, well, again, I, I mean, the example I use that long-term planning versus being reactive short-term, I think universally everyone goes, you know, that kind of makes sense. Uh, <laughs> and again, the question is what about my concerns? Are they, are they met or not? Uh, the challenge with, with some of those more complex you know, so you mentioned budget time, you know, I, I can tell you what you're going to hear. I want the same or more services with less taxes. You know, yeah. I mean, it's again, one of those universal things or, or they'll say, Hey, I want, I want good value for the money I'm spending. And then the question then becomes, well, do you believe you've got that or not? Uh, and if you don't, then what do you think needs to change in order to get that? Right. Um, so again, it, I think it's the, the concept on it's generally is just so, you know, acceptable to kind of contemplate, okay, how can we do this? And then it just becomes, all right, do the benefits outweigh the drawbacks? Are there significant enough drawbacks that, that we shouldn't do this? Or can we mitigate, you know, because as I say, are we hamstringing the next council or are we, have we maintained the ability to be responsive? Um, then if the answer to those are both yes, and then we've got a plan that says, okay, well, you need to now think strategically when you first get elected and figure out what it is you're trying to do and then line up the horses in that race and set them free. Mm. Okay. It doesn't seem like that. I don't see a downside to that conceptually. Um, but then, okay, something happens of great significance or, or, you know, and we say we need to make a change and therefore we need to, you know, and so they've, they've outlined in that uh, meeting sort of the trigger point. So when, when would we just say, Hey, here's what's, here's what's going on and you don't need to worry about it. And when, when would we come to you or when could council come to us and say, Hey, we need to make changes um, because the world that we thought we were getting into is not the world we're in now. Mm -hmm. That's a valuable lesson learned given the events of the last couple of years. Um, I do. I didn't plan on addressing this, but we talked about it before we started recording um, I wasn't crazy last or, or a couple of weeks ago when I saw barbed wire going up along the fence line, the train tracks that run yes. between Margaret Green Park and, and the Paisley Road there. Um, you had a hand in getting some rethink on that. So can, can you talk about that? Well, I, I did. Thank you. Uh, the, almost within minutes after I noticed it driving by, I got a call from a constituent going, what in the world is it? And it was horribly ugly. And seemingly illogical because it was, you know, coiled barbed wire fence along the top of, of the, the, you know, by the Metrolinx uh, in an area that I really couldn't comprehend needing that level of security. Uh, I ended, I took it straight to the CAO and uh, because we have such a multi-level 
relationship with them on so many different levels. I said, hey, I don't know which way to go to get this done. And within a day, uh, I had a, a confirmation. No, they've made a mistake. Uh, and they took it down. And I believe a week within a week, it was it was resolved, mm -hmm. uh, which is which is good, because that would have been that would have been terrible. Uh, and part of this, though, is is a problem with access, right? There, there's this big fence that Huge. goes from Elma Road to the West End Rec Center. And there are a lot of people who, you know, are out on their own two feet. Are, I mean, appreciating that it's dangerous to, to walk across train tracks. But for a lot of people, that was access. Absolutely. So is there any conversation about, you know, creating more kind of access? Well, it is in the trails master plan to have an underpass at um, just across from 700 Paisley there, mm -hmm. uh, um, sort of where the, where the crazy fencing went up, the barbed wire <laughs> fencing uh, that got taken down. Uh, so it was in, it's in, it's in the master plan to have an underpass there, but, you know, famously spoke, nothing money won't fix. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, or, and, and, <laughs> I was really hoping um, that we could get Metrolinx to help pay for that. Um, I'll have to settle for getting them to back off of putting a transformer station in Margaret Green, but okay, <laughs> you know, but I'll still go after the money if I can get it. <laughs> Sometimes it is all about the small victories. Um, before we go, uh, careful council watchers may have noticed you've shaved the pandemic beard down a bit. Um, is, is that yeah. a sign? Is the pandemic over? Uh, <laughs> by by yes. Mike's beard if, measurements? If that, if that is the interpretation, <laughs> if you can get, if, those, if the tea leaves of my face tell you the pandemic is nearly over, all the power. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, Mike Salisbury, thank you so much for all your time today. Thank you, man. And so once again, that was Mike Salisbury and the mystery of the barbed wire in Ward 4. Solved. I hope it, well, it is solved. Mike Salisbury solved it. He, he, he murder she wrote that. Um, he ripped it down with his bare hand, though. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? With the, with the, I mean, he doesn't have the full ZZ Top pandemic beard anymore. But I mean, uh, Mike Salisbury was, was, you know, he's looking pretty wild, man before so i wouldn't have put him past them to like go bare hand and just like start ripping stuff down um yeah the made sales are up i think these days if you've <laughs> seen anybody particularly john tory too much renown yeah yeah pretty uh, amazing lit that these days wow yeah yeah we're still talking about pandemic here moving on uh that's the end of the show we're moving on to the end of the show we hope you liked it. Stay connected to us at our website, opensourceswealth.com. We're on Facebook at Open Sources Newswire. And find us on Twitter at OS underscore Guelph. To listen to the show again, download it from our website every Monday. You can get it at the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean. Or get it through your favorite podcast app at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Me, myself, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson. And you can find my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. Scotty Hertz on Facebook, Scotty Hertz on Twitter, and for all CFRU-related information beyond listening to this fine station, check out CFRU.ca to find out just what the heck is going on. No barbed wire around the station yet, but, you know, remains <laughs> to be seen. Who knows what tomorrow will bring? Anyway, uh, next hour we'll bring DJ Sounds Good to Me at the top of the hour here on CFRU 93.3 FM. CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We'll be back next Thursday at 5 p.m. for more open sources, and we will see you then. <laughs>